now despite multiple economic, political, social, and public health crises plaguing the United States, uh, Donald Trump's war hawks, they continue to seek regime change in Venezuela well into 2020. However, now that President Joe Biden is in office, many are wondering if U.S.-Venezuela relations can improve. On Saturday, January 23rd, uh, the president of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, said he was willing to turn the page with President Biden, calling for a new path after years of tension with Trump's White House. Now, after Joe Biden won the U.S. presidential election in November, Nicolas Maduro congratulated him, saying Venezuela was ready for dialogue and good understanding with the people and government of the United States. Biden's administration, however, doesn't seem to be as open to cooperating with the Venezuelan president. On Tuesday, January 19th, Anthony Blinken, uh, who is now has been confirmed as Biden's secretary of state, said Biden's administration will continue to recognize Juan Guaido as the country's president. Keep in mind that Juan Guaido basically declared himself president back in 2018, despite the fact that Venezuelans had elected uh, Nicolas Maduro. Keep in mind that Blinken is also an old member of the Obama administration, having served first as Vice President Biden's national security advisor from 2009 to 2013, deputy national secretary advisor from 2013 to 2015, and then as United States Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State from 2015 to 2017. Blinken had uh, immense influence over Biden in his role as Deputy National Security Advisor, helping to formulate Biden's approach and support for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Biden, uh, Blinken seems to be of the view that it is up to the United States and only the United States to take charge of world affairs. So there's a lot of concern about what that might mean for the uh, Biden's foreign policy uh, generally. Following the election of Hugo Chavez in 1999, Washington and other Western forces have made several attempts to undermine Venezuela's Bolivarian um, re revolution and republic named after the independence hero Simon Bolivar. In 2002, under former President George W. Bush, there was a failed U.S.-backed coup against Hugo Chavez. In 2015, under former President Barack Obama, the United States declared Venezuela to be a national security threat, imposing sanctions against seven officials. Since 2017, when Donald Trump, with Donald Trump in office, the United States regime change operations against Venezuela have been in over drive. Not only did uh, Trump's government slap multiple economic sanctions on Venezuela, including an oil embargo, it also sought to topple Venezuela's democratically elected government by violent force. Before he died, uh, Hugo Chavez helped to establish progressive institutions across Latin America and the Caribbean that promoted regional unity and development. Petro Caribe, for example, is an oil alliance that uh, the late President Chavez helped to create 
which has 18 Caribbean member states. It was founded in 2005 in Venezuela, offering the other member states oil supplies on generous financial terms, including 1% interest. Around the same period, Hugo Chavez also helped to establish the Bolivarian Alliance for the Peoples of Our America, known as ALBA. It is an intergovernmental organization based on the idea of social, political, and economic integration of the countries of Latin America and the Caribbean. Hugo Chavez founded this alongside Cuban president, uh, now the late Fidel Castro. Venezuela has also helped to create uh, CELAC, the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, which consists of 32 sovereign countries in the Americas. Now, since the election of Hugo Chavez, the mainstream media in the United States have just regurgitated, it seems, talking points from the U.S. State Department. They seem to have uh, that whatever happens in Venezuela, whoever the uh, if the president, whether it's Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro, that Venezuela and their presidency have to be um, portrayed in the most negative light. Let us go for an example from CNN reporting on poverty in Venezuela. Keep in mind, this is <laughs> the United States where right now you see miles and miles of cars lining up to just get a box of food. Let's go to the report now from CNN. Life has come to a standstill for many on the streets of Caracas, Venezuela. After decades of corruption, economic pain and violence, the pandemic's now robbing many here of even a minimal income, intensifying one of Venezuela's most pronounced ailments, extreme hunger. Celestina Rondon tells me she lost both her boys to gun violence 16 years ago, shot just a few streets away from her home. There was so much war, they killed without mercy, she says. Today, she's fighting a different battle, trying to make her $1 pension amid hyperinflation last the month. I eat bologna, rice and sausages, if there's any, she says. Today, there isn't much. She has, what, three sausages, a tiny bit of rice up here, frozen water. Um, and then if I open here, she's got plantain, and leftovers that are now swarming flies. Water, too, is in short supply here, a result of Venezuela's deteriorating infrastructure after decades of mismanagement under Presidents Hugo Chávez and Nicolás Maduro. The little that does flow out, she uses to fill these up. Avoiding COVID-19 is the last thing on her mind. When there's water, we store it so it lasts. And when there's money, we buy bottled water, she says. Down the road, I meet 80-year-old Francisca de Sapia, who behind her smile hides a world of pain. She tells me she has no fridge, broken as a result of blackouts that have plagued the country, more frequently over the last few years. She shares this house with her two sons, and here resignation adorns its every corner. A report last year found that 96% of Venezuelans are living in poverty. 96% of Venezuelans living in poverty, a report. It doesn't say which report. 
this, of course, uh, CNN. I would now like to welcome our guest, Ricardo Vaz, writer and editor at Venezuela Analysis, an independent website produced by individuals who are dedicated to disseminating news and analysis about the current political situation in Venezuela. Ricardo is, of course, based in on the ground in Venezuela. Ricardo Vaz, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so um, before we talk about the reality of the situation on the ground and your reaction uh, to that uh, CNN clip, um, President Maduro talked about basically trying to have a reset um, with the new Biden administration. And just yesterday, on um, Tuesday, January 26, at the White House uh, press briefing, Jen Psaki said that the overriding goal of US policy in Venezuela is to see a peaceful transition of power through free and fair elections. Uh, she said, quote, um, that the Biden administration will focus on addressing the humanitarian situation, providing support to the Venezuelan people, and reinvigorating multilateral diplomacy to press for a democratic outcome and pursue individuals involved in corruption and human rights abuses. Um, just your reaction to that. Yes, yeah, so as you were saying in the introduction, there was a bit of expectation you know, following such a belligerent uh, foreign policy towards Venezuela from the Trump administration. What could we expect from the Biden administration, right? And in a way, we could more or less foresee what was coming simply by the fact that uh, most of the characters are from the Obama administration. You mentioned the, the Obama executive order from 2016 declaring Venezuela an unusual and extraordinary threat to U.S. national security. You know, besides the the, the fact that it's a very strong and equally absurd statement. This is the, what lays the, the legal basis, you can call it like that, because you know, many people argue that sanctions are illegal. This is the basis for sanctions. And so this decree was renewed consecutively by, by Obama and, and then by Trump. So if Biden wanted to, to revert this, he would actually be reverting an Obama decree and not something that, that was produced by, by the Trump administration. And then uh, the signs got clearer and clearer. What, what you were saying about uh, Anthony Blinken, this was um, some, some meeting in the Senate. And when he said uh, that uh, the, Trump, the, sorry, the Biden administration was going to speak with Guaido, who proclaimed himself uh, almost two years, a little over two years ago, exactly on January 23rd, 2019, he also said something that was a bit more revealing, at least in my opinion, which was that uh, the, the new administration was going to, to look at ways to make sanctions, uh, quote-unquote, more and more effective. So not, not just are they going to stick with, uh, with the self-proclaimed and kind of uh, parallel government attempts, they're also going to, to stick with, with sanctions, which have had uh, a devastating effect on the economy and then, of course, in turn, on, on, on the lives of, of every Venezuelan. So, uh, if you want to go back to that CNN report, of course, the 96% poverty, and these are absurd numbers that come out from either NGOs or uh, writing universities and so on. And of course, that's not, the number is not correct. Which is to say that, uh, you know, most Venezuelans and the large majority is not going through uh, extreme hardships at this point. And largely as a result of, of, of U.S. sanctions, which have really decimated the Venezuelan economy. 
Um, Ricardo, let me just pause for a moment because I want to make sure that you're, I, I know you're speaking from overseas directly into the cell phone. We're, we're just having a little bit of uh, sound issues, uh, sound issues here. But um, again, before getting into... Right. Before getting into the actual situation and, and the, you know, the, the, the CNN uh, report, uh, back, though, to the situation, there was a, a, an election in Venezuela recently. I'd like you to talk about the outcome of it. And, of course, um, the just a, a day or so ago, uh, the European states have said that they no longer recognize Juan Guaido as Venezuelan's interim president, uh, given the outcome of the recent uh, elections that happened. So tell us about the elections and uh, the implication, the wider implication of e European states no longer recognizing Juan Guaido, but the United States and the UK are still holding on to their recognition of him as interim president of Venezuela, even though he was never elected, uh, someone else was, Nicolas Maduro. Um, your thoughts on this, Ricardo Vaz? Yes. Those two things are connected. So Venezuela held uh, legislative elections in, on December 6th last year. And this was for to elect a new national assembly for a new five-year term, which began on, on January 5th. And on, on these elections, the, the U.S.-backed opposition, headlined by Guaido, decided to boycott the process. They argued that it was fraudulent and so on, and so they, they declined to participate. And so... The, the Venezuelan government or the pro-government alliance won an overwhelming majority and took back control of the, the country's parliament, which had been won by the opposition in 2015. And this has implications on, on the European Union's decision because one way of self-proclamation uh, two years ago uh, hinged on the fact that he was the president of the National Assembly. Uh, regardless of that, there, there was no basis for his, for his self-proclamation the interim presidency position doesn't even exist in the Venezuelan constitution. But in terms of, of the legal argument and more, more, moreover the media arguments was that you know, since he was the president of the National Assembly, he was entitled to do this because they did not recognize the 2018 elections in which Maduro won. Uh, he was elected for a second term. So now, since there were elections for the National Assembly, which even the European Union uh, has qualms with, they, they say that, uh, you know, the process of defense won. Uh, regardless of that, they, they say that, uh, you know, the previous National Assembly term has, has expired, and as a result, whatever basis they had for the interim presidency, no, presidency is no longer there, and so they will, they will no longer uh, refer to Guaido as interim president, even though they still consider him as a privileged actor, a privileged dialogue counterpart actor. Uh, what Guaido what did, you know, parallel to not taking part in, in the elections, was to come up with a, a bit of an artificial, artificial trick, which was to expand, uh, of course, it has no legal basis, but the, the, the opposition's outgoing parliament voted to extend its term at least for another year. So to continue in office, even though they're not really in office. And so that's uh, kind of the, their legal on this side, which then allows the United States to say, you know, Guaido is still in place, he's still recognizing, and the United Kingdom, since now they're out of the, of the European Union, they can also move differently with, with their foreign policy. So that's more or less where things are right now. We have to ask 
you know, uh, Jan Psaki's comments yesterday that, uh, you know, regime change is still very much the, the Biden administration's goal. No, taking that into account, we have to ask if uh, the Guaido uh, parallel administration, quote unquote, is their best bet to achieve it. So they might, uh, you know, change change course at some point simply by the fact that they don't see this as their most, uh, the, the option that gives them the most chances of success. But for now, at least they're, they're not going to reverse the, the Trump administration's position on Venezuela. Well, let me let me ask you this as well, because we know that the recognition of Guaido meant that um, he was able to access funds that basically belonged to the Venezuelan government. The UK held on to I don't even know how much worth of, of, of gold. Um, in the United States, they have also basically taken over Sitco, uh, which is connected uh, to Venezuela in the United States. So there's all of that going on. And then there is much being made of the level of poverty in Venezuela. You started earlier to refer to the statistic they gave of 96% of Venezuelans living in poverty, but also in relation to the elections. Now, I was a monitor for elections, a few elections under uh, President Hugo Chavez and didn't see, I mean, it was a free and fair election, but it seems whatever election happens on Venezuela, in Venezuela, if it is a win for the Bolivarian uh, revolution that the United States and Europe says, oh, discrepancies, it's, it wasn't a fair election, it was a stolen election. Um, can you give us your thoughts, one, on the, on the Venezuela elections and, uh, you know, have people confirmed, have others confirmed that those elections were uh, free and fair? And uh, I'm wondering also if the EU no longer recognizing Guaido, if that means that um, the government of Venezuela would have access to resources that rightfully belong to the government of Venezuela. Uh, Ricardo. Uh, yes. So regarding elections, there were uh, several organizations and, and individuals coming from abroad to observe the election, and there was a, a report from the kind of International Commission of Electoral Service who confirmed that uh, the elections were, were free and fair. They had no no issues, no doubts about uh, the validity of the results. And, you know, as someone who was here, you know the, how how foolproof the Venezuelan system is, and there are lots of checks and balances. There are lots of audits in place to precisely... Uh, Stop any 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 fraud attempts. We didn't say that, that they're not possible, but they're not straightforward. And this, this ties to, to the to the coverage we've seen of elections over the years. So basically, as you were saying, every election that uh, the Bolivarian uh, process has won uh, has been labeled as fraud, and sometimes ahead of time. So, for example, in 2016 elections, which the opposition won, the, the media coverage was more or less that you know the opposition is the majority, but there will be fraud. And then, of course, the opposition won, and, and the media didn't really know what to do. But, but in, in most recent processes, since the, the hardline opposition has boycotted, the media has gone to lengths of uh, you know, proclaiming ahead of time that the elections are going to be positive, you know, even before the, the votes are cast. But in this case, yes, there was a, a report from the International Commission which uh, found the elections uh, being said. The Venezuelan government actually invited the European Union and the United Nations 
planned observation teams, but you know, I think in the middle of the, the diplomatic tensions, they, they chose not to. Going back to to the issue of the of the EU recognition or non-recognition, uh, yes, the matter of recognizing Maidou is beyond uh, a diplomatic position. You know, it, it's about having control of these assets because uh, this was litigated in, in, in U.S. courts and, and United Kingdom as well, that uh, the assets have to be transferred to whoever the, the U.S. government or the, or the U.K. government decides is the legitimate uh, representative of the Venezuelan people. So there was a case with the, with the $1.5 billion was called the United Kingdom and several assets in, in, the, in the United States, not just crypto, but also bank accounts. As for the implications of the uh, of European Union institution, I don't think it's going to mean uh, Venezuela will have access to, to its resources straight away, because uh, there are still sanctions against against against, uh, against Venezuela, and there's no chance, yeah. no no signs that it's going to change any time soon. So I wouldn't expect any any reversal in in terms of, of that policy. Right, what, and what, and just the question of the third. Yeah, just, just well, I'll, I'll get back to that. Uh, just finally, because we really are kind of out of time for this segment, Ricardo uh, Vaz. Um, now, we do know, I, I spent some time um, in Venezuela, and remember the, the sloping hillsides. We know that poverty exists. We know extreme poverty exists <clears throat> in Venezuela. Um, it, a lot is made of it, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, we know that there's poverty and extreme poverty as well in the United States. Uh, however, um, the Western media, the media in the United States don't quite play it up the way they do in Venezuela. And we also know that uh, certainly under Hugo Chavez, he was really trying to uh, control what he inherited. I mean, a whole uh, system of corruption that had been <clears throat> embedded and, and he was really trying to, to to, to deal with it. I know less about what is happening with the Maduro administration, but tell us a little bit about if you think that 96% is accurate and just also finally on uh, COVID-19, the impact and what the Venezuelan government has been doing about it. Yeah, so the 96% <laughs> figure is uh, obviously not, not correct. I, don't, I wouldn't have an estimate for how much it is. What I would say is that poverty and, ex and extreme poverty came down to all-time low uh, under Hugo Chavez, so around 2012-2013, and they continued to, to decrease in the first years of the Maduro administration. But then with the, there was the global fall of oil prices and then sanctions. This meant that the economy has gone into into a very sharp decline. I mean, GDP has contracted by some 60% in the past six years. So it really is a very complicated situation, which has meant uh, lots of hardship for the majority of the Venezuelan people. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that uh, the government is, is just sitting idly by. I mean, I have, I have a lot, lots of people have criticisms of the government policy, but the government has tried to a certain extent to social programs to try and at least secure some the minimal basis for the for the most exposed sectors. For example, there's a, a program of subsidized food that reaches some six million families, and that that offers them kind of a minimal basis uh, for for survival. I mean, 
sounds very dire, but, but that's my situation. That, that's not reflected on income. So if you were to talk about income, of course, salaries have been pulverized with, uh, with the speculation around the, 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 the currency and so on. And so most people cannot live on with, with the, the wages that they would get, I don't know, working in public administration. But there have been other kinds of uh, escape calls, you know, either people who have uh, uh, emigrated and planned remittances or some kind of flourishing businesses that have emerged, uh, yeah. sometimes in, in shadowy fashion. But, you know, the, the economy has found ways to improvise, but it's still a very dire situation and it, it, it cannot improve as long as this uh, crushing weight of sanctions is in place. Right. And, uh, um, I'm afraid... Uh, yes, okay. quickly on COVID-19, because we are out of time. Yeah, so, so on COVID-19, it's a bit of a mystery, but Venezuela has done much better than, than neighboring countries, even though the healthcare system has also been very hard, hardly hit by, by sanctions. To do with the government taking action very early, and uh, kind of a vision on healthcare that's more community-based and has allowed them to tackle cases much more efficiently than, than other countries in the region. So, but at the same time, uh, sanctions and, and other unilateral measures from the U.S. and, and the European Union have made the fight against COVID-19 much more difficult. And in recent days, we had a, a report that the Vatican government wanted to use some of these frozen funds to buy vaccines, and they were not allowed. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, we are going to have to leave it there. We appreciate you, uh, Ricardo Vaz, joining us. Thank you so much.